Lord Jesus and Heavenly Father, we thank you oh so much for the many things you've already blessed us with. Now the awesome opportunity to get back into your word helps now as we do our studies. As we pray in Jesus' precious holy name, amen. Continuing our Exploring the Word series in the book of Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians, a letter of Paul to the church at Corinth, a very young church at this time, and helping them work out some issues that they were dealing with. As we recall, the Corinthians were a pretty rambunctious bunch, and when they got into church, you might say, into fellowship, they still held on to some of their mischievous behavior, that he addresses some of that. And Corinth was a pretty wild place, a wild city. It was a lot of commerce going on there, and a lot of merchandising in and out and a lot of travelers coming and going. So there's a lot of cultures that were kind of mingled together, which made it that much more challenging to come together in a common belief in the Lord and proper behavior because of the various cultures that were coming together and the practices that they would bring into it. But as he continues to teach them and through this letter and guide them, we see here in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, as we pick it back up, Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God, speaking to the congregation about the church leaders. Here specifically, he's talking about himself and the other apostles. Moreover, it is required in Stewards that a man be found faithful. Now, this stewardship is given to all of us. When we become a born again Christian, we acknowledge that we are stewards. Steward means someone who has been given charge over and supervision over and maintenance over something that belongs to someone else. And our bodies belong to the Lord. He bought us with His precious blood. Therefore, we are stewards of our own bodies. Steward to the Lord, accountable to the Lord. And everything that He blesses us with, every substance that He blesses us with, is a gift from Him, and it belongs to Him. And we are, as stewards, supposed to take care of and cherish and use properly everything that He blesses us with. And here, Paul is speaking about the ministry, the mysteries, the understanding and knowledge of the Word of God that has been given and revealed to him and the other apostles and the other disciples that had went out. Those things, you have to use them properly as well. What are you doing with the knowledge and understanding of the Word of God that's been presented to you? Are you a proper steward of that as well. Because that's what he's speaking of here, that he is a steward of such things. Let's verse 3. But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you, or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self. For I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified. But he that judges me is the Lord." Acknowledging the Lord is going to hold us all accountable. We don't have to worry about other people trying to hold us accountable for what the Lord's blessed us with. Ultimately, we are going to answer to the Lord. Therefore, 
Judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. And then shall every man have praise of God. He is monitoring and recording everything that's going on with everybody at all times. And there will be judgment and there will be rewards and there will be losses. There will be accountability ultimately. And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes that ye might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. Here he touching a little bit on how some have been lifted up as being judges over others. Just as you have in the Catholic Church, these priests and these so-called fathers and so-called holy father, which is a total sacrilege, that sit and judge other people. The little priest that sits in the little booth behind the screen and you sit down in there and you spill out all your sins to this priest behind the little screen, that's wrong, that's wrong. That's not what's supposed to be done. That's not biblical. And here he's talking about that, puffing themselves up as a judge of someone else. And then they say, oh, say so many Hail Marys and, and count so many rosary beads or do this or that as, as repentance. and as It's all made up by some priest along through the ages that come up with this that puffs them up, just as he's speaking of there, puffing them up above a position that they should be in. You only confess your sins to the Lord. You confess your sins to the Lord, not to mankind. Now, if you have done something wrong against somebody else and you go and ask forgiveness from someone else, that's a personal confession. That's a total different situation. But as it continues, verse 7, For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why doest thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? Now, verse 8, Now ye are full, now ye are rich, ye have reigned as kings without us. I would to God ye did reign that we also might reign with you. For I think that God hath set forth us, the apostles, last. Here he's pointing out his humbleness. He's not trying to say that they are anything special above someone else. That the apostles, which were acknowledged as being the most blessed with the understanding and wisdom and knowledge of the mysteries of God, as he pointed out earlier, it would be easy for people to start to worship them, to lift them up and start calling them Holy Father or High Priest or something like that. But they're saying, no, we are servants. We are ministers. We are coming to you as that. That's why I personally hate the term reverend to be applied to a man of God or a man that's a preacher or a pastor. Because reverend insinuates a position of reverence that you must revere that person as being something great and holy and precious. No, 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 never do that. Especially don't call me no reverend. Let's like apostles here. He says the last, right down at the bottom, right there, we're ministers, we're servants. We come here to serve, just like the example that the Lord did. He washed the feet of the apostles. 
He humbled himself right there to that position, giving them the example. And man needs to do the same thing. If they don't, they're going to be held accountable at a higher level of accountability for doing such things. For I think that God hath set forth us the apostles last, as it were appointed to death. For we are made a spectacle unto the world, and to angels, and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise in Christ. We are weak, but ye are strong. Ye are honorable, but we are despised. Even unto this present hour we both hunger and thirst, and are naked and are buffeted, and have no certain dwelling place. And labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world and are the offscoring of all things unto this day. I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. A very good point he's putting out here. That he's not just trying to cut them down, but he's trying to lift them up. He's trying to warn them, be careful when you get into such things. Come out from that. For though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet have ye not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore, I beseech you, be ye followers of me. Now, don't take this out of context where he says, be ye followers of me. He's talking about, see my example, see how I have succeeded in service of the Lord, and you can learn from that and do some of the same stuff that he's doing, whatever your calling is, basically. But he's saying to follow him, follow his guidance that he got and received from the Lord and he's passing on to them. And if you just take this one statement and say that about Paul, to follow Paul, He's previously already told us about how they shouldn't be following Paul, shouldn't be following Apollos, should only be following Christ. And now he's pointing that out. You listen up to what I'm telling you. Hear what I'm teaching you. Understand the truth. Follow that. In that, he can say, well, follow me because that's what I am doing. You can do the same thing because that's what he is doing. For this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son. Now, his son in Christ, his son as being a person that he has gotten so close to, not his literal son, wasn't his biological son, as you might say, but his son in, the, in Christ because of the big age difference. Basically, Timothy, or Timothy as he calls him here, had become in a mentor and protege situation with Paul. Reads, and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. Now, some are puffed up as though I would not come to you, but I will come to you shortly, if the Lord will, and will know not the speech of them which are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What will ye? Shall I come unto you with a rod, or in love, and in the spirit of meekness? Like, what do you really want? You want somebody to come in here and just overpower and conquer you completely, beat you down, or to come in with 
the spirit of meekness. Meekness being that power under control, knowing that he has an ability to influence someone else's life and spiritual walk and coming in with that under control and using it properly. That's what he's speaking of. That's what he wants to do. That's what is really needed, that power under control, not to dominate and overpower others and be puffed up and treated like something special. All right, we'll run on into chapter 5. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you. Now he gets into some of the sexual immoralities that have been going on. Some of the things that they were doing that they brought on into the church, they supposed to have repented, which means turn away and be converted. But they didn't repent and convert from some of their behaviors. And this one in particular you're speaking of was pretty vile. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you, and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles, that one should have his father's wife. And ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily, as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already, as though I were present concerning him that hath so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together, and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the Spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. This is a very misunderstood and a lot of speculation and theories upon what verse 5 means. Let's read that again. To deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Delivering someone unto Satan, what is he speaking of? That's the big question. Some say that that means to exile that person or excommunicate or basically kick them out into the world, let Satan have them back and give up on them. No, we don't give up on anybody, even somebody who has messed up and continues to mess up. We pray for them and we try to help them. But as we see elsewhere in the Word of God, we've got to be careful when we try to help someone that is in such a behavior, an ungodly behavior of any sort really, that you not get entangled with them, connected with them, and accused of doing the very same thing. So it's a very delicate process to to help someone in such a way, if they are in denial of even the fact that what they're doing is wrong, that it is ungodly. But to deliver them to Satan, some have speculated that this actually means to let them be punished and suffer for their sins, that it might bring them to their understanding that what they're doing is wrong that if they become afflicted with something as a result of their sinful behavior, so be it. Don't pray for them to be delivered from the chastisement that they are receiving 
for doing such an ungodly thing, whatever the action may be. There's so many various things you could plug into here other than just this act of fornication that he's speaking of, this individual. So basically, you've got to handle this very delicately. You must pray for them, but not be so accepting and linking and acceptance of their behavior. Example, today, there are many churches that have opened the doors and welcome in other various ungodly behaviors, such as the transgender movement, such as the LGBTQ, XYZ, everything else under the alphabet movement, to come on in and be accepted as part of the church, welcomed in, continue your sinful behavior, come on in, you're part of the family. That attitude, that's what he's talking about here. This attitude toward this one of us doing this fornication and the same thing. He's like, oh, come on in, be a part of us. We we'll welcome you on in. You're all right. Continue what you're doing. You were born that way. Oh, you mutated your body and converted it into something else that you think you did. But all that craziness, that's what he's not to be accepting of such things. Not to open our doors and say, come on in and continue your sins. No, come on in and get forgiveness and repent. Turn away from those sins. Be converted. Become a new creature in Christ. That's what needs to be done. Not to welcome them in to stay the way they are. Welcome them in to be changed, to be converted, to be repented. Yes, love them, care for them, pray for them. But don't accept their behavior as being something that you've given them permission to continue. That's what we can learn from this. Verse 6, Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Talking about... Yeah, come on in. Yeah, that's great. Sit right there and you mingle right in, be part of the family. But that can pollute the entire congregation when you accept such things because you're welcoming Satan into the group. Purge out, therefore, the old leaven that ye may be a new lump as ye are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sanctified for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and weakness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators. That's associating with them, welcome them in, let them be part of the family. Yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world, or with the covetous or extortioners or with idolaters for then must ye needs go out of the world but now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such and one know not to eat don't link yourself up with such ungodly people that claim that they are Christians or even if they are Christians that have become disobedient children. And bring them in and associate with them, welcome their behavior, glory in their behavior as he's saying, that's wrong. You must point it out to them. You must let them know. You are not judging them or condemning them. You are revealing to them the Word of God. You are revealing to them that they are in error, that they need to repent. That is out of love and concern for that individual, not in condemning or cutting them down, 
but trying to lift them up. For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? Do not ye judge them that are within? But them that are without, God judgeth. Therefore, put away from among yourselves that wicked person. Clear and simple. Put away from your, among yourselves that wicked person. That's where they come up with the boot them out, discommunicate, exile, however you want to put it. You can, in some situations, literally have to do such a thing. But if we can pray for them, look after them, monitor them, help them any way we possibly can to change their ways so that they can remain as part of the group, if they sincerely and truly want to change, then you have really gained quite a faithful brother or sister because when they get converted from that and they truly see the light, then they are very influential because then they have something to talk to others about that have the same problems or the same situations. And I was in that and I overcame it by the power of the Lord. And then they can use that to help others and it can spread and have quite an influence. All right, rolling on into chapter 6. Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? Here he's getting into a little bit of legal aspect, you might say. You have an issue with another Christian. And some people like to just, okay, let's take it to court, get it settled. Go to the world's court and try to settle an issue. That's what he's speaking of here. Settle it within the group of believers. Settle it within the church. If it's part of your church family and you have this issue, then deal with it with church members instead of going outside into the world. Apparently that was something that the church at Corinth had been dealing with. Dare any of you have any matter against another, go to law before the unjust and not before the saints. Do ye not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, judged by you, are ye unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to this life? If then ye have judgments of things pertaining to this life, set them to judge who are least esteemed in the church. That's interesting there to don't take the highest elders and deacons or trustees or pastor to set up as your your jury, you might say, your group of judges, to have the, the least esteemed to listen to a matter and to try to settle a matter of the dispute between a couple different church members. I speak to your shame... Is it so that there is not a wise man among you? No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren. But brother goeth to law with brother, and that before the unbelievers. Now, therefore, there is utterly a fault among you, because ye go to law one with another, 
Why do ye not rather take wrong? Why do ye not rather suffer for yourselves to be defrauded? And like a lot of times, you just need to be forgiving. You just need to take the loss. No overreaction. No get all bent out of shape over something that should just be settled or something that you should just let go and move on. Nay, ye do wrong and defraud and that your brethren. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Now, verse 9 is so prominent and it can stand out to be used in so many different ways beyond this one subject that he's bringing up. As he expands it in verse 9, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. The unrighteousness that he's speaking of there, so many various, I mean, he covers basically all the sins. And an interesting one here, nor effeminate. In some of the translations it says nor homosexual, because that's what he's speaking of there, effeminate. And the abusers of their bodies, those that are the transgenders or the, the lesbians, all the sexual immoralities, he's got all of them covered in here. And the drunkards, those not only of alcohol but of any substance, and the revilers, troublemakers, these rioters, extortioners, those that want to steal from others. So many of those. I mean, he covers basically the sinners shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Paul has such a, an awesome ability to always remind us where we came from. All through his writings. Don't forget it. You were like that before. Some of you were like that. And here, as such were some of you, keeping us humble, letting us know that, hey, we've gotten forgiveness. and We were a bunch of filthy sinners also, so let's not get all puffed up when we start looking down our nose at somebody else that's in this particular sin. It may be different than our sin, but we were sinners too. And such were some of you, but ye are washed. That's washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. But ye are sanctified. That's set aside specifically for a task. But ye are justified. That means found innocent because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. In the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Let's read 11 again. And such were some of you, but ye are washed. But ye are sanctified. But ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful unto me. What does he mean there? That he can do anything? Is that different for him? Lawful for him? What he's speaking of here is the subject of that we can misbehave. The Lord will allow us to misbehave. But it's going to cost us. We're going to suffer for it. We're going to get some chastisement. We're going to get attitude adjustment. We're going to lose rewards. But we don't lose our salvation. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. They're going to cost you if you do something that is against the Lord. All things are lawful for me, but 
I will not be brought under the power of any. Because when you get into those things, then you become a slave to those things. Meats for the belly, and the belly for meats, but God shall destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for fornication, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God hath both raised up the Lord, and will also raise up us by his own power. Talk about how we will be raised from the dead, receive our glorified body. Know ye not that your bodies are the members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them the members of an harlot? God forbid. What? Know ye not that he which is joined to an harlot is one body? For two saith he shall be one flesh. But he that is joined unto the Lord is one spirit. Flee fornication. Every sin that man doeth is without the body. But he that committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. Getting back onto that subject of fornication that he started with at the beginning of this chapter. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. That's the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. We are stewards. We need to act like it. Stewards of this body. We are the temple of God. When we become Christians, we need to act like it, behave like it, take care of this body, don't do ungodly things with it, because it belongs to Him, not to us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus and Heavenly Father, we thank You oh so much for Your Word. There's so many things we can learn. It is so current. It's so amazing. Written so long ago, but yet still applies today and will apply tomorrow. Help us always to have that understanding and knowledge and all that we can dig into here and find the answers to whatever question that might come our way. Thank you all so much as we pray in Jesus' precious holy name. Amen. Thank you all.